Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Where the Stars Fell. Created by Newton Shuttlecotty, Where the Stars Fell is a mystery adventure story set in the Pacific Northwest. It's about Dr. Edison Tucker, a cryptozoologist who cannot die, who has set her sights and Wonderkind grant money on the strangest town in America, Jerusalem, Oregon. Between an eccentric housemate, quirky townsfolk, and the mysteries lurking just beyond the tree line, Ed's gonna find the answers she's been searching for. She just might not be ready for what finds her. The first episode of Where the Stars Fell, called The Olive Branch, finds Ed arriving in Jerusalem and meeting her housemate, the reclusive author Lucille Kensington, and immediately getting off to a bad start. Listeners should be advised there are a few instances of coarse language in today's show. I spoke with Newt via Zoom. Tell us a little bit about yourself as a, an artist and a creator and the showrunner for Where the Stars Fell. Sure. Um, so I got my start in the audio drama industry back when I was 15 years old, a freshman in high school. I got real bored in my algebra class one day and decided, well, hey, you know what? I've been hearing all these really cool audio dramas. They were basically my medium of choice that I grew up on. What's stopping me from a quick Google search on how to make an RSS feed and starting my own? So the very first episode of my first show, Angworm, dropped on my 15th birthday. It's the best present I've ever given myself. Wow. And from there, I just, I fell in love with being able to make all of these creative um, endeavors and adventures and have, you know, the kind of control that audio drama gives you over your story as an independent medium that just, you know, a TV studio or a movie production company wouldn't. So much that I'm now actually going to school for commercial songwriting and video and film production down here in Nashville. I'm just, I'm just getting to do what I love every single day and I can't wait to keep doing Doing it. That's awesome. This medium does allow for independent creators, you know, that because there's not a whole lot of restrictions, uh, you can just do it yourself. And I think that's one of the strengths of this medium. How many audio dramas have you produced? Because you've got your, I was looking at your website and your bio, um, and you've got, you've had a, a, your fingers in a lot of little pies. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I've, I've got this thing where sometimes I'll just cold DM or email people and I'll just be like, hey, I'm super impressed by everything that you do and you're awesome. Do you want to like do something together? <laughs> um, but for myself, just like executive production, I've done Inkworm, which uh, wrapped its finale in March of 2020. The perfect time to suddenly need to figure out what you want to do next creatively. <laughs> exactly. Right. And Where the Stars Fell started in January of 2021. And we are getting ready to put out season two at the end of this year, which is very exciting. We're in the home stretch. I don't just show run. I'm mainly a sound designer by trade. And I also write, direct, voice act. Um, so I've gotten to help out and work on a lot of really amazing projects by a lot of some very wonderful and dear friends in the industry. Especially, and tying back to what you said about, you know, the freedom that you have in audio drama, 
I have, you know, a lot of wonderful folks I've gotten to work with that are around my age. Um, you know, folks like Jacqueline Cho and Ali Hylton and B Highland, who were all around my age when we first started creating, and I've gotten to do some awesome stuff with them. I, I love the fact that I've gotten to be so collaborative here. One of the things that I've I've noticed about the audio drama community is that there is a lot of collaboration and a lot of support. Part of that, I think, is collaboration is one way to grow your audience. But I also think, at least the people that I've talked to, have all been very enthusiastic about sharing their creativity and sharing their time. And that's a very um, rewarding feeling to be a, a part of that community. It's definitely the sense of, okay, we know we're all indie. We know that we were the people who like got the ball rolling and all of the big companies like Audible and whatnot jumped on the bandwagon after us. So if we want our art to stand out and if we want what we have to say with our stories and our creations to be heard, we've got to sort of have a union mentality. We've all got to make sure that we're supporting each other, that we're saying each other's names in rooms where they would be well said. That sort of mindset of we are stronger together is just one of my absolute favorite things, not just about being a creator, but about coming of age as a creator in this industry. Now, you've released uh, Where the Stars Fell through Caldera Studios. What is Caldera Studios? Uh, Caldera Studios was the name that I came up with uh, when we were doing the astronomy unit in biology class because I figured, well, I can't really release all of this stuff under my legal name because what if my parents find out that I'm doing a podcast? Oh. Um, and it's also why I wrote under a pen name because, you know, I wasn't really out um, as non-binary to everybody at the time. So I, I sort of came up with that name just so I could have a place to, you know, not only release Inkworm, but also because I knew that this was something special that I'd just gotten myself into. And then I would probably have more projects that I wanted to tackle as, a, as an executive producer and just as a creative head in the future. Can you tell me a little bit about where the stars fell in your own words? Where the Stars Fell is a supernatural mystery following Dr. Edison Tucker, who is a genius cryptozoologist. And she decides to come to the mysterious little town of Jerusalem, Oregon, because it is known as America's hotspot for the supernatural. And she's got a little bit of an ulterior motive for doing this, not just, you know, for the love of the job. Because for as long as she can remember, ever since she was born, Ed has been physically immortal. She's never been able to die. So she wants to come and prove the supernatural is real because maybe she'll be able to figure out why she is the way she is also. And she meets a lot of the town's quirky residents. She ends up rooming with the infamously mysterious author, Lucille Kensington. The two do not get along immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, you know, you sort of get deeper into the mysteries of what's going on and how Ed and maybe even Lucy are connected to it all. You had me at free dinner. You a creative type, then? That's what out-of-towners usually come for. Research, actually. I'm with the biology department at, uh, Stanford. Well, goddamn. You gonna tell us how polluted our watershed is or something like that? No, no, not ecology. Like the flora and fauna around the area. I'm, uh, looking for abnormalities. Abnormalities? You know, anything out of the ordinary. You're one of those Bigfoot hunters, aren't you? I am not one of those guys, no. I've got a fucking grant, thanks. So by abnormal, you mean... Well, 
technically my speciality is cryptozoology. We get into the actual science of how these things might exist. It's not all, you know, ancient aliens and all that. Mostly just, yeah, a lot of sample taking. And they give out money for you guys to do that? If you publish enough. Ha! <laughs> What's the genesis of this story for you? And, and I'm, I guess part of that question is, um, is this a personal story? Do you have a personal connection to this particular tale? I knew when I finished Inkworm, which was a sci-fi sitcom, I wanted to do something completely different. So I wanted it to be, you know, in the modern day. I wanted it to be set on Earth. I wanted it to have a lot to do with nature. And I didn't want it to be as much of an ensemble cast. I wanted to have maybe two Max main characters that I could really just sink my teeth into. I wanted to give myself a really big challenge in terms of character. The way that I accidentally ended up doing that was I had a lot of the notes written down for Where the Stars Fell before the end of 2019. And then in December of 2019, I ended up in the hospital because I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Mm. And I had already known before that that I did want Lucy to have a physical disability. But that whole paradigm shift in my life completely changed the trajectory that I wanted her story and by extension, Ed's story and everybody's story and the themes that were present to take. One of the big themes of Where the Stars Fell is choice and agency and I know what happens when we are given difficult choices and what happens sometimes when, when choices are taken away from us. And the experience of, of suddenly having my world rocked by now having not one but two disabilities and having to go into the quarantine period figuring out how my life was going to look, it really made me sit down and think, well, okay, I, I need to express how I'm feeling in some way. I need to tell a story that captures that feeling about the ways that we sometimes feel like our life is kind of out of our control and how we take that back, whether through big show-stopping action moments, but also just through the connections that we make with others. I'd like to ask you a personal question. Sure. Since you mentioned it, you said that you have now two disabilities. Um, I assume diabetes is one. What, what's your other disability? Um, so I have autism, uh, just like Lucy. A lot of Lucy's um, experience with her autism is based on mine. We actually have an episode in season two that directly talks about it that was really both personal but also wonderful for me to write. And obviously Maddie, um, Lucy's voice actress, does an absolutely incredible job with it. Um, I, I could not ask for a better person to portray all of the little nuances that comes with having a brain like mine. The reason I asked if this story had a personal connection was I noticed that, for example, you do the voice of Ed, correct? I do. Now, Ed is short for Edison, and mm -hmm. your name is Newton. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we have two scientists there. And then one of the writers is uh, Lucy, and you have the character of Lucille. <laughs> so it was hard for me not to look at that and go, hmm, that sounds very personal indeed. Well, like, funny story on that one. I actually came up with the name for Lucy and did not realize that I did accidentally name her after my best friend. So let's talk a little bit more about this. So we talked about there is sort of a personal connection there and you're borrowing each other's names. Um, Lucille in the story has autism. 
Edison seems to have some sort of um, problem with delusions, uh, has panic attacks. Uh, she even says, I've taken all my medication today. Lucille also is disabled in that she uses a cane, right? Yeah, that was actually really important in our sound design as the sound designer. And just to quickly clarify, Ed has a borderline personality disorder. And it's something that I did want to represent because, you know, it's, it's an underrepresented little sector of cluster B that unfortunately doesn't get a lot of love or positive attention in the media. And I wanted to show a character who was sort of past the more difficult, usually pre-diagnosis periods and, you know, had her coping skills toolbox and was just living life like we so do. But, but in terms of Lucy, I wanted her physical disability to be present in the sound design. She has different footsteps than everybody else in the show. And I worked really closely with Kit, whose sensitivity reads for Lucy, to make sure that uh, Lucy's footsteps, you know, when she's using her cane, when she's not using her cane, she's using her prosthetic no matter what, when she's using her crutches, to make sure that that sounded really accurate and that it was always present. Because, you know, for disabled people, our disabilities are always present. I wake up in the morning and the first thing that I do is check my blood sugar. And I wanted the audience to really feel that by every single time that you're hearing Lucy walk, you are reminded that this is, this is a character who uses a mobility aid, she has a prosthetic leg, and this is just a part of her life. Hey, I didn't know what kind of stuff you had, so I just brought all my cooking stuff and we don't have to... Whoa. Dude, I was gone for three hours. What the hell happened? What? Hey, was it something I said? Are you okay? I, I know we kind of got off on the wrong foot, but come on, you can't just start using a cane out of nowhere and not expect me Perhaps, to- Perhaps, Dr. Tucker, instead of asking inane questions about why I'm suddenly using a clearly well-worn mobility aid, you should instead be wondering when my pain medication wore off and what implications that holds for my tolerance of you. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't know- No, you didn't. Because it was none of your business, and continues to be none of your business, and it is not my job to explain the concept of fatigue to a woman with four bloody doctorates. None of which I'm fully convinced you didn't print off an editing program. Ed was in the Boy Scouts, I think. Uh, there's a they're very short. It's easy to miss if you're not paying attention. Uh-huh. She was a t she was a tenderfoot. She was a tenderfoot, in the, which is, I believe, is only a Boy Scout rank. She snuck in. She snuck in. It was always a dream of mine growing up. My mom made me join Girl Scouts. Um, right. That and that and that did not last long. <laughs> but I always I always really wanted to join Boy Scouts because they got to do all of the cool stuff. What motivated you to focus so much on such a wide variety of inclusion for this particular script? So for me, it wasn't so much of a focus as just having these characters be people that existed, that had parts of their life that so many other people do. You know, I, I know that um, that Where the Stars Fell is set in a pretty rural little town, but I didn't want to have any kind of negative reaction to the really wide variety of people that just were living around there. There's just so many different people living their lives there because the thing is, that's just how the world works. Mm -hmm, right. You know, you don't you don't walk through New York and everybody looks like how they do on sex in the city. Right. So right. for me, it was like, if I'm going to be telling this story about people being given choices and people deciding to choose how much of their agency they want to exert over their lives and the ways that they find community through people like them, 
I, I needed to be sure that I was putting my money where my mouth is and making an effort to tell stories that reflected the incredibly diverse community of audio drama creators and listeners. And that also I was challenging myself to tell stories that maybe necessarily I wasn't familiar with. I think it's important that we acknowledge that it's easy for us as consumers of mainstream media to kind of forget that because, you know, mainstream media is sort of usually designed to appeal to the mainstream, right? The sort of what is considered culturally average. And that does mean that a lot of people get left out. I think one of the best exercises that you can do as a writer is create a character who has a story that you are unfamiliar with, mm. because that gives you this wonderful opportunity to talk to people who, who have that life experience. And you will not only will you, you know, learn something as a person, but that will help your brain to see things from a completely new perspective. Let's talk about the story itself. Sure. Why the Pacific Northwest? For two reasons. Number one, I was afraid that people were going to say I was copying Taz Amnesty if I said it in Appalachia. Okay. Um, even though, as people will find out directly after episode nine, we are two very different stories. Mm. Um, but also because Gravity Falls was a huge show for me growing up. And also because, you know, I've never lived in that part of the country. So it was a great opportunity to, like, do lots of research. I love a good research session. Is there something about wanting to do a story about a paranormal investigator in a small town full of strange little characters that called to you at this particular time in your life? I wanted a story that would take me outside, but I think the influence of everybody being trapped inside for most of 2020 very much called me to that story. You know, most of the show's development and the first season was written while I was quarantining out my senior year of high school. I got to play outside a lot. Um, as a kid and there were like this this huge patch of woods behind my house that my sisters and I would go out and like beat each other with large sticks. I wanted to reconnect myself with that with that sense of adventure. This seems to be a very character driven show. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, I'm, a, I'm first and foremost a character writer. A lot of what appeals to me about your show and is the back and forth between the two characters. What exactly are you researching here, Dr. Tucker? It's Ed. Unfortunate. Well, if you simply must know, I'm what we in the biz call a cryptozoologist. There's a business for monster hunting? You know, it's people like you who don't understand the pages of science that go into understanding the billion different factors of abnormalities in an ecosystem that really create a stigma around- Are you- is this for some sort of television show? Oh, internet video series. Do you honestly think that Stanford University would give me a multi-thousand dollar grant to start a fucking YouTube channel? Well, I'm failing to see what else the use of that kind of research is. Oh, I heard those air quotes. What the fuck is even your job anyway? I, I could already see they're going to become friends. The back and forth is really well done. It's well written and well acted. While there are hints of the supernatural that are dropped into the first episode, it's really not the main focus at all. Tell me about this first episode and what you were trying to accomplish when you wrote it. When I was starting the first episode, I'd had, you know, a good chunk of change of experience in audio drama by then. So I knew that there were two things technique wise that I really needed to get right, because there are two things that audio dramas, at least especially pilots, live and die by. Hot take. It's atmosphere and voice acting. 
because it's all sound. So you can have really, really well-written dialogue, but if your actors can't make that chemistry work, your audience is not going to want to stay with those characters. Mm -hmm. And if you can't get the atmosphere right, if your audience can't tell if you're in, you know, an icy tundra or the back of a refrigerator, they're not going to be able to shape that story in their heads and they're not going to be as engaged. So when I went into the first episode, I knew I had to do a couple of things. I needed to answer the questions of why is Ed coming to Jerusalem? What is Jerusalem like? Why don't Ed and Lucy get along? And why has Ed decided to stay there regardless? And by answering these questions, I could sort of set up the audience to get invested in the story and want to keep coming back for more. You know, eagle-eyed listeners who, who finish season one and go back and listen to the pilot will notice that in the very first scene that Ed and Lucy meet, they immediately start pushing every single one of each other's insecurity <laughs> buttons without even knowing it. And that really shows, I think, what makes me want to come back and listen is the fact that you have very well-written dialogue and two strong performances. You do a little world building. We meet two of the local town residents, Mama Gabe and Mike, Mama Gabe's diner, right? And then we also have the, the Holy house. Grill. The Holy Grill, which is a great name. I love a good pun. I'm my father's kid. <laughs> so looking back now that you've finished your first season, um, what do you think about your first episode? It's a very different experience than, say, when I wrapped Inkworm and I looked back at the very first pilot because longtime fans will know the original pilot of Inkworm was so amateur that the moment I finished season one, I went back, rewrote, re-recorded, and remastered the whole thing. <laughs> that is how quick my learning curve was. Right. I've promised myself um, for my 21st birthday, I'm going to get a very nice bottle of scotch and listen to the original. <laughs> original Inkworm <laughs> pilot, definitely with some caring friends and just see, how, see if I can get through it. But now, I mean, you know, when I when I edited and when I wrote and when I acted the pilot of Where the Stars Fell, I, I don't have as much of a distance from it now. But also I had the wonderful gift of already having gotten to learn so much in the in-between. There are so many new shows in this community coming up like each and every single day. Like, I, I, oh my God, my two listen list is so long and there are so many good season twos about to start at the end of this year. Pilots and making sure that you are putting your best foot forward is more important than ever. So what do you struggle with in your creative process? Work-life balance. It's crazy. And it's, it's, I'm glad that I've gotten to talk to a lot of the people that I mentioned earlier who started um, around the same time that I did age-wise. But a lot of the time, I'll just be like pushing myself really hard to like make an episode perfect or get all of these projects done or keep up engagement on the social medias and all of that. And I'll have to take a step back and remind myself like, hey, buddy, you're 19. You are a child. You need to like go right now, go to a party and <laughs> stop answering emails and go talk to a girl and make an idiot of yourself. You have you have three whole years of college. I'm graduating in 23 because I'm nuts. Go enjoy them. Go be a kid. Go have fun. So, yeah, I've had to really prioritize, you know, not just the whole work and school, but also Reminding myself that hopefully I have a long career ahead of me and hopefully I'm only just getting started, but I have, I, I have so much more to learn and none of that is going to get, is, is going to stick if I'm just, if I'm just doing work. Yeah. This is the time in your life for you to make mistakes. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Go make some mistakes. How do you measure success? 
Well, uh, did, did I mention that I have autism? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So one of the fun things about um, people with my particular brain chemistry is that unlike neurotypical people who often have a perception of who they are based on how they are perceived by other people and their mm -hmm. social relationships, a lot of autistic folks, we measure our perceptions of who we are by what we do, what we create, what we put out into the world. And as somebody who is a creative and who really likes numbers, um, <laughs> can, that can very easily become kind of a toxic mindset of how many downloads am I getting? Sure. How many followers do I have? Ah, right. so I've, I've learned that the best way that I can measure my success is how excited do I feel to talk about what I do? You know, when I, when I start chatting with somebody who's also a sound designer or a writer, how ready am I to just absolutely gush about all of the cool things about this industry and all the cool things I'm doing right now and sharing tips and, oh, have you tried this really cool plugin and this and this and this? Because if I'm excited about what I'm doing, then that means that I have to be doing something right. Do you have any advice for people who want to create audio dramas? Just do it. Don't, you are, you're, your first thing that you make for literally anything in the world, whether it be knitting, candles, fried chicken, whatever, is going to suck. Because that, that's simply just how the, the human act of creation works. But the only possible way that you are able to make things that don't suck and improve, and perhaps down the line learn why your original product did suck, is to make more stuff. Practice makes perfect. But you can't start doing that practice unless you start doing something. So you have season two coming? We sure do. We're, we'll be, we'll be, I don't know when you're going to be putting this episode out, but we'll be announcing the date at the beginning of November. I'm so incredibly amazed by what my generation is doing in this space and all the cool stories that we are telling. But as I talked about with like what I struggle with, if you're listening to this like right now and you're one of the people that I'm talking about, um, go take go have a glass of water, go watch an episode of your favorite TV show, turn in for the night and take a break. You need to, seriously. <laughs> I still don't know how exactly I feel about Lucy. On the one hand, she's definitely still got it out for me. But I guess you have to be a pretty good writer to have a series that popular. I'm sure as hell not gonna read it, though. But she thinks I will. Whatever. The point isn't to focus on Lucy. Right now, my top priority is finding some real, solid proof of all the weird shit I just know is happening in this town. Hello? Anybody there? <gasps> what is that? Never seen you before. Is that? Huh. Well. Maybe this will be easier than I thought. Fans of The X-Files or Gravity Falls will find plenty to like in Where the Stars Fell. There is a mystery to be discovered in Jerusalem, and Ed will encounter plenty of the strange and scary in her investigations. But it's the people in this story, with their own set of struggles and successes, that make the town feel familiar and relatable. Where the Stars Fell is available on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. 
All opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. The show's webpage is thefirstepisodeof.com. If you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, send an email to thefirstepisodeof at gmail.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. <laughs>